0: Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another CORE Conversation. I am so excited for the guest I have today. It is Dr. Tori Cordiano. She's a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Ohio. She has extensive experience working with children, adolescents, young adults, and Families. She is also the director of research for Laurel School's Center for Research on Girls and a consulting psychologist for Laurel School in Shaker Heights. And most importantly, (laughs) she's my cousin. Um, No, I'm just kidding. But what that does is it gives this great layer of us getting to do mom life together and professional life together. So I am just so excited to be able to bring her on and share this with all the listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and so excited for you on this new venture. It's so wonderful that your content is going to be widely available in another form to so many families.
0: Well, thank you. This podcasting is something I love. I am a podcast consumer daily, just about. And so this is a really fun medium for me to get to explore and use. And I'm excited for this because you and I have navigated the last two years together. You know, our families were in this pattern of being able to see each other and visit each other. And then obviously, March 2020, that all stopped. And then you and I, we really did lean on each other for, wow, there's no handbook on this. And even as professionals, things just felt, who specialize in child development, we feel really confident in being able to coach our kids through hard things. We didn't know what to do. There was this level of predictability that... I still feel like we're still kind of wrestling with now, even two years later, even as the threat of COVID has waned a little bit for a lot of us.
1: I remember texting you from my driveway in March 2020 and thinking (laughs) through, okay, how will we tell the kids that school will be canceled for maybe as much as two weeks, that feels really hard. And I think back (laughs) on it now and think, oh, poor sweet March 2020 selves. (laughs) You only knew.
0: (laughs) Well, I remember, and then we can get into the conversation about this, but listeners might find this amusing. She was. It was right before spring break. Yep. And your family was supposed to come to Disney. We were going to meet you in Disney. And I got noticed when I picked the kids up, like, hey, our schools are shutting down. And so I texted you. I'm like, you can still come down, stay with us. You're like, oh, no, we're still going to Disney. And then literally, literally an hour later, I was like, Disney just shut down, Tori. (laughs) What are we going to (laughs) do? Oh my goodness. Okay. So all of that, like those are just two of our crazy experiences. And now we're coming up out of that, right? Life feels a little bit normal, but there seems to be still this underlaying level of anxiety that is just kind of percolating through schools and life. And are you seeing that in your practice as well. Absolutely. Yes, I am. In my practice, I see a
1: wide range of ages and development. So from parents of younger children where parents are still very, very anxious, to school age kids and teenagers who are having much more anxiety. Or if they had anxiety, it's the volume on it's turned up louder than than what they were used to. I even have a lot of college students that I haven't seen in sometimes a couple of years that I have reached back out because of anxiety.
0: Wow. And what does that anxiety seem to be? Like, what is that latching on to? You know, what events or what are the triggers that you're seeing through the different ages or with the parents especially?
1: I think with the parents of younger kids, there's a lot of trying to figure out how to balance the safety piece of it and the predictability piece of it with not wanting to disappoint their kids. Um, You know, we know good child development Knowledge tells us that predictability is really, really helpful and important and grounding for kids. So knowing what the schedule is going to be, knowing what's coming up, and that's for that day, but also this weekend and next week. And we do things like we have a countdown if we're taking a trip and things like this. And we did that because it helped kids to prepare themselves and to know what to expect. But the challenge with that during COVID and, and coming out of COVID is that we couldn't count on that certainty, that predictability, but so we fell into the category of not telling kids things that were going to happen until we were pretty certain that it was going to happen, which meant a much shorter runway for them to prepare, which brings its own challenges. So now many parents, and I would put myself in this camp, feel like they're toggling back and forth between the predictability, which we know is helpful, and not wanting to disappoint our kids. So not giving as much advance notice and preparation for things that are going to be coming
0: up. I love that runway, right? The wind up, I kind of use like the wind up before the pitch. There's got to be that lead in into a situation, right? So I'm wondering, have you changed what the runway looks like? Because I know my prep conversations, even with my children who are four and seven, look very differently now than they probably would have two years ago. Yep. Yep.
1: absolutely and i think a big piece of this depends on where your child is in development and i'll i'll just use a, you know a recent experience my kids range from just turned 5 to 11 and a half and for my older two i can do more kind of higher level here's what our plan is and you all know that our plans sometimes change and sometimes they change unexpectedly or at the last minute but i want to let you know that this is what we're planning to do With my youngest, I actually kind of shorten the amount of time before I will let her know what's going to happen. I'll give some information so it doesn't feel like a total surprise, but I kind of fill in the details as they become firmer, which has worked okay for us. And I think about this from everything of like taking a trip, you know, when we came down to Florida to visit you all, I thought about this, to when school is starting up, to uh, field trips, to things that are going to happen with friends. Uh, all of these events that were just a little bit less certain for a very long time.
0: You know, my child goes to, he's in a Montessori school, they take monthly field trips. So that's a big part of the Montessori education is that it needs to take place outside of the school walls. For COVID, they did not. And they just, I think November, they just started doing field trips again. And there was this, you know, the teachers were like ready for it. They were super excited. I can't even imagine. Thank goodness, like the teachers are in charge and they just handle it so beautifully. But they waited to send the permission slip home just about less than a week before. They waited to tell the kids because there still was this. It could not happen. We're really used to things getting canceled. But with that lack of predictability, we as adults get into this state of anxiety and then that can feed the kids' state of anxiety.
1: Yes. <laughs> because yes. a piece us. of it, right? That idea that whether or not you're conveying the anxiety through your words, kids are picking up on much more than the words. They're picking up on your tone, your tenor, your body language, your energy. And so it really um, behooves parents to think about how they take care of themselves and recognize and manage their own anxiety because it's going to be there right now in certain, in differing levels for differing people. But knowing that it's, it's likely to creep up, knowing what the signs are for yourself, knowing what your kind of go-to sources of support, whether it's making sure you're getting enough sleep or physical activity or meeting with your therapist or talking with friends or a partner that you really trust, making sure that those pieces are in place so that you are managing it as best you can on your end to support your kids.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's something, you know, we had to cancel a trip to come see you all over Christmas because I got COVID actually. And that was a huge piece of me just like I removed myself from the family a little bit. I actually went outside and sat and I was texting you. I had to process my own feelings of, truly devastation before I could show up and be there for my children. So I think that's just so important for parents to know, one, to normalize it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh This is, here we are, you know, you're talking to the clinical psychologist, you're talking with the child development expert. It's unnavigated water, really, to go through two years of something like that. And then be, you know, get a word like, hey, it's, we're going back to normal, guys. Like things are opening back up. Get ready, yes, okay. right um noted yeah. <laughs> not what yes. so it's really normal to have those uncertainties that those reactions, but also finding that support for ourselves means that we'll better be able to show up and support our our children,
1: yeah, and I want to be clear that when we talk about parents doing that, it's not in any way that we are hiding the anxiety from our kids or pretending like it's not there. I think it actually is incredibly powerful for kids to hear a parent say, Whew, I'm feeling anxious. I'm gonna make sure that I get to yoga tonight because I know that that helps relax me. Or if you are parenting with a partner and you are tapping out of uh, saying, I feel really stressed. And when I get stressed, I get very crabby. So I'm gonna take some space and dad's gonna manage dinner tonight.
0: That's so powerful. And I've gotten in the habit of narrating that so much. And I did, you know, when I had, to, when we, Had to tell our boys that we couldn't come up to Ohio to see you all. It was shared grief. It was, I am right here with you, buddy. I get this. I am so sad about this. And I think just normalizing that for them too, just like you hearing us say, hey, we're feeling this too. This is a normal response to this situation. Our kids seeing that and then having that modeled of, and this is what I'm doing with myself to sit with this to move through it, to process it it, is just such a powerful teacher.
1: I think sometimes as parents, we have this sense that we need to show up as complete with no cracks and no vulnerabilities for our kids, when in fact, them seeing us work through those challenges, but knowing there's a safety net in place, that they can trust that we are working through those in ways that are safe for us and safe for them that goes much, much further than any sort of direct teaching we will do with them about how they manage anxiety.
0: Totally. So something I wanted, because kids aren't, especially young children, aren't going to come up to you and say, mommy, I'm feeling anxious. Most of the time, even, you know, my children, your children who have been emotioned motioned coach right. <laughs> their entire lives, you know, they have a wide variety of like emotional vocabulary to use and great self-awareness, I'd say about all five of our, our collective children. They're not going to come up and say that 99% of the time. So how do children let us know that they're feeling anxious about this? And then what do we do to show up and respond to that?
1: Yeah. So I think even for kids who have a very extensive emotional vocabulary, who may be able to describe that if they see it in another kid or a sibling, or they see it in a book or a movie, when they are in that place, they're not able to access that language reliably. And this goes for older kids, too. This does
0: not end. Also adults, right? Yes, absolutely. I'm pointing to myself. I'm like, it takes me a while to get there, too, sometimes.
1: (laughs) And, And it also doesn't show up in the ways that we would necessarily automatically link to anxiety. So if you have a kiddo who is anxious about separating, you might expect to see, they're a little clingier, they hide their face, they stick closer to you. We would see that and think, oh, that's anxiety. But we might not pin anxiety on they're kind of got this hyper energy and they're running around or they're making a mess or they're talking back or they're refusing to put their shoes on or they're really crabby or irritable. But all of those are ways that anxiety can show up too it's helpful to know your kiddo and know sort of what their, their kind of tells are for different emotions. Um, not that they're always gonna show up in exactly the same ways, but to know sort of when you see that in your child, getting curious around, are they being oppositional? Or actually let me pause and think like, could this be something else? Or Might they be anxious about something? Let's just sort of gather some more data here before we jump to a conclusion about what this behavior is linked to.
0: Ooh, I love gathered data because behavior is just, it's data driven. I mean, it's, it's what we is tangible. It's what we can observe. My child, one of his tells, and I have very different personality children, right? So one of my children, his tell is rigidity. And I think of myself as an adult, my go-to coping mechanism, if I'm not being conscious about it, if I'm not aware, right, is that control, mechanism because if I feel out of control, the anxiety is high. I joke. I'm like, this is why the home edit took off in the oh, middle of COVID because we uh-huh. could all go to our closet and we could control the chaos in the yes. closet because you we could control, control all the levels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't control anything outside right. of the closet. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. But We could rainbow color coordinate our shirts. Right. So I think, you know, just knowing your kiddos and getting curious about, is this, right, is this about the shoes or is this them feeling nervous, anxious about going to the dentist because they haven't been in recent memory for them?
1: And there's things that we might not predict kids would be anxious about, things that we think would just be fun or exciting. And Maybe they have both of those. In our family, we call that excited, nervous feeling, nercited, because it almost always goes hand in hand. We have things that we are really excited about, but also we have that kind of buzzy, nervous energy. And it helps when we have some conversations about what parts are are you excited about? What parts might you be a little bit nervous about? And then we loop back later on and, and talk through it again. Wait, what do you call it? Say it again. We call it NERCITED, N-E-R-C-I-T-E-D. At least Nerd that's how I spell it in my head. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, this was coined by a kid in my practice years ago who was facing one of those situations where they were feeling nervous and excited. And we came up with sighted. And it's amazing actually how often that term applies because even for things that we want, that we are looking forward to, we still have that anxious energy about it if it's novel or a challenge or different in any way.
0: This episode is made possible by Kaylee's Core Community. The Core Community membership is a community of people committed to intentional parenting through the power of relationships. All members gain access to The Vault, which has over 20 workshops on topics ranging from parental triggers to whining, with a new one added every single month on so many various topics. Members also get workbooks, journals, inventories, books for children, and a weekly Q&A with Kaylee all within a private website and a private Facebook group where we share weekly commitments, parenting wins, encouragement, and solidarity for those tough parenting moments. Learn more at www.kayliekukla.com backslash COR, C-O-R, which stands for Centered on Relationships. The link is in the show notes. Now back to this. Core I'm thinking about we're so we're recording this in April. It'll drop like early summer. I'm thinking about like summer camp too, because this will be the first year. For example, one of my children is going to camp offsite, like not at school. I kept him in COVID, like I kept him in this little bubble at school, and it was great for us. And it was familiar with all of his school friends. He's going to a turtle camp near us. He's so excited about turtle camp, but there's a lot of nerves and I'm going to use nurse sighted for him. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and the book that came to mind, you told me about Jabari Jumps. Yes, one of our favorites. Years ago. And that book is tried and true. It's still one of my favorites. It's still one of my top recommendations. And for listeners, you can find it on Amazon. You find it at a bookstore. Jabari Jumps is about a little boy who is probably nearsighted would apply to him. He's for sure nearsighted, yes. (laughs) Because he really wants to jump off the high dive at the pool, but he has difficulty getting himself up the ladder, like actually starting to climb up the ladder because he gets a little nervous about jumping off as well.
1: And my favorite part about that book, as much as I, I love Jabari, is his dad in the water, who is just this steady presence He's not pushing Jabari to jump. He's not telling him, you're already up there. Just jump. You'll get it done. Just be brave. He's there. He's steady. He's echoing what he hears Jabari saying. And then he's celebrating with Jabari when he actually does do the jump when he's ready on his own terms.
0: And something that stuck with me was something the dad said, Jabari's dad said in that book was it feels a little bit like a surprise. Yes, yes. And I have used that so much for, you know, helping my children get enough, like work up enough courage to try something like a new ride at an amusement park or a new jump into the pool or just a new activity that they're probably nercited about. They've got this mix. They really want it. You get right up to that point and it's like a little bit of a surprise And do you like surprises? And they're like, yeah. And I said, so you might like this
1: too. I love that. And it's neutral. It just helps them get information about it and allows them to form their own experience, but kind of preps them that you might feel that surprising
0: feeling. Yeah, that little in your tummy, you know, talk about that's the tummy. So, yeah, I just, that's a great book for listeners too to kind of talk about working through those things and those behaviors. And so, something that really fascinates me because I work primarily in early childhood, that's my, my zone, my scope, but you see all the way up to adolescence. So, I think drawing the parallels between anxiety and what we see in early childhood, how it translates in adolescence, is really helpful for parents to see like the big picture here. About anxiety with kiddos. So, what are you seeing in your older patients?
1: I'll say a couple of things, I, sort of two trends. And, and one of these is newer and, and one is not. The first has to do with what we were just saying about how emotions show up kind of in unexpected ways or unexpected behaviors. We know for teenagers who are depressed, they are just as likely to show up as irritable as they are to show up as sad. So, when your 13 year old is, in, I mean, to be clear, 13-year-olds are often irritable and that's just a of par for the course. But <laughs> if you are noticing in your 13-year-old, wow, they're much grouchier than usual or this is a departure from their norm. I talk about like the grouchy porcupine a lot as a, as a sign of depression when it's ongoing for kids. And that can be true for anxiety as well. It might not show up in sad or quiet or withdrawn. It might show up in these kind of grouchy porcupine sorts of ways. So I think we see a lot of that. The other trend that I, I think is, perhaps a little bit more related to the pandemic. And I think the research will bear this out over the the next couple of years, actually goes back to what you were saying about how we all wanted to organize our drawers and our closets and everything when when we were homebound and we could control nothing else. We are definitely clinically seeing a spike in things like obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD and eating disorders. And both of these are characterized by rigidity and control. And when everything feels out of control, Some teenagers are turning inward and they're going to tighten the screws on what they can, whether that's their behavior, their eating, their habits, whatever it is that is um, within their control. And sometimes this dips into a clinically significant place where it can actually impair their, their functioning.
0: Wow, that's a lot. That's really that just goes to show. And I talk so much with about younger kids about we need to find that sweet spot, right, as parents of giving them appropriate control, letting them have that agency, that influence, you know, kids thrive in that, but not so much that they feel overwhelmed because children instinctually know I shouldn't have that much control that's too much. you know so i think really i want parents to walk away from this i want one normalize it let's just we're all at a higher level right now and that's okay from what we just came out of and what we're trying to recalibrate in but what are some of the conversations that parents can either have with each other to help their little's or with maybe their more school aged older children as we reenter this to help us stay grounded and find a level of predictability again in this new kind of reemergence, so to speak.
1: In terms of the, the conversations that parents have with each other or even on their own to, to kind of come to parenting intentionally, I think it helps to go back to the idea that what we know to be true about parenting has not changed. That balance of Safety and autonomy and needing to kind of be in that that sweet spot between the guardrails there, that has not changed. We had to change our way that we handled it for a couple of years, and it's okay and it's understandable that it's going to take us some time to get back to that, but kids still need limits to keep them safe and to help them feel safe, and they still need chances to be independent and to take risks that are healthy and safe sorts of risks. So whatever the environment looks like, whether it's a new activity or a new camp or experience or going somewhere with a friend or, you know, doing these different sorts of things, those are still very important. And we still want to approach them with the same kind of limits and safety on one end and room for growth and risk-taking on the other end.
0: And maybe you'll have more to added to this or change it a little bit. But I think, and I've noticed that if I approach an activity confidently, And maybe I'm unsure, you know, I don't really know how it's going to be set up. An Easter egg hunt, for example, my four-year-old does not remember Easter egg hunts because he was one. I think you were right. We were saying our youngest were the same age. So he really does not remember it. So I don't know how it's going to be set up. I'm really curious, you know, how do you want we're going to find out when we get there, maybe we can walk in and stand back and look around and go from there. So preparing them from a place of parental confidence, which means we've got to check in with ourselves, right? And figure out, you know, what is as safe as possible feel like for me? And what is my approach to now relearning? Maybe the setups are different. they were pre-pandemic. Maybe they are the same. What's our comfort level as a family? And going through all of those things before we we go to our kids, because they're probably going to have, if they don't explicitly ask those things.
1: Yes. And I think that confidence it's for parents and also how you set kids up in the situation. So on parents' end, that means knowing if you know that you are not going to feel safe and comfortable at this really big, chaotic Easter gathering, it's okay to skip that, right? If you know that you're not gonna be able to show up confidently and managing the situation, it's better to find a different situation that you feel like I can show up as a parent and I'm confident that I can manage my own feelings about this because that will make it more enjoyable. I'll be more confident. My kids will be more confident. It'll just be a better situation. For kids, it's setting that framework that I know that you can handle this And also you might be feeling nervous about it. Like I I love the both and, it's not an either or, it's a both and, it's both, I know that you can handle this and you might be feeling nervous. And when appropriate, it makes sense sometimes to offer a couple of choices. Would it help to get there a few minutes early so that we can sort of scope it out? Would it help if you knew what time we were going to be leaving by for older kids who can, you know, have a sense of the time? I think you want to limit how many of those choices you're giving to kids because that can start to feel a little overwhelming. But if there's one or two easy sorts of choices you can offer that gives them a sense of autonomy in it and a sense of safety in it, that can go a long way.
0: And I find just because as my eldest is getting older and we've been having these kind of conversations, now at seven, he can really assert. He's a little more aware of what his needs are. He's more able to ask for these things. It doesn't take much for me to get them out of him, so to speak, you know, or he doesn't need as much prompting. Whereas my four-year-old still needs a little more, like what you were saying, limited options of what would be helpful for you? Would X or Y be helpful? What do you think?
1: That coming to know yourself is such a powerful part about... Children and as they develop. One of my kids the other day had an experience that was challenging for them. They wanted to do it. It was that near sighted feeling, but it took a lot out of them. And they got home and kind of retreated for a bit. And when I checked in later, they said, you know that I just need some space after something like that. And I was just like, wow, that is incredible. And I I know that. I've known that since you were two. But I love that you now know that too and recognize that in yourself.
0: Wow, that's exciting. I get excited like that, and how empowering for them to know that about themselves and and talk about an appropriate sense of agency and control, like they did it. They got home, and they're like, "And now I'm checking out for a while, guys. peace. <laughs> yes, this is what I know that I need to have been
1: able to manage that and then come back and rejoin the family in a little bit.
0: love <laughs> oh, that so. To wrap it all up for the littles, I want to go back to the littles real quick and talk about this concept of a runway and just prepping them, especially if this, you know, during the summer months, we're starting to talk about school and I'm getting a lot of feedback from parents of rising kindergartners. So they're starting kindergarten in the fall or rising pre-K four, because that starts in Florida, that starts our um, state funded, you know, pre-K programs, right? So most kids participate in that. The level of anxiety in parents and of the children, they're seeing these acts. So how do we, the children know school is starting, school is starting. The runway has already been set for these children, right? So giving some guardrails on the runway, let's back it up a little bit. How do we start prepping them for these transitions we know are coming, but still really feel uncertain? I love that you started that with the parents are anxious and the kids are anxious,
1: because I think actually parents can play a huge role in how kids manage these transitions. Some kids are naturally going to be a little bit more anxious about these transitions, but parents can help kind of set a framework that that can help them manage it. So I saw you post something about this the other day, the idea that toward the end of the school year, we hear a lot about you're going to need to know how to do this in kindergarten. And, and that's first of all, it's April. And you know, for a four-year-old, they look a whole lot different in April than they do in September. But also, that doesn't mean a whole lot to that four-year-old in terms of, is that tomorrow? Is it now? Do I need to know what is next? When when is this going to happen? So I think instead of that kind of language of you better get there and, and in a hurry, we can say things like, wow, look at all the things you're learning to do. I bet that feels good that you can put your folder away or that you can get yourself dressed in the morning. That's such a good feeling. It's so cool to see you learning all those new things. We're still reinforcing the skill. And I would say we're actually reinforcing it in a much more successful way than the kind of scary threat of, at some big point in the future, grown ups that you don't yet know are gonna expect you to be doing this. <laughs> and I wanna say, I think those kinds of statements often come from a place of anxiety for parents. Because if you're looking at your four-year-old and you're thinking, you have to go to kindergarten. And how is this going to work if you can't reliably like, you know, put your shoes on or put your stuff in your bag? And it's a it's a place of fear and worry for their child about what that's going to be like. So often with parenting, especially with younger kids, well, maybe not especially, I think this is as <laughs> true for older kids too. We're often kind of taking a step back and taking another step back and thinking, okay, what if this is mine as a parent? And what do I do with this before I come to the situation with my kiddo?
0: I love that so much because that fear, and I think a lot of times too, for teachers who are saying that there's this pressure, there's this immense pressure that I get these kids ready for the next step. I've got to get them ready. Really, the preparation that we want, that confidence and the abilities that we want that child to have. Really come from you, what you just did, recognizing where they're at and encouraging that skill and building that own inside, like inner belief that I can do this because then they feel competence and they're much more able to step in and feel competent about the next step. And we don't even have to, I think I just want to pull out for parents. Okay. So if this drops in, you know, May, June, July, like the summer months, We don't even have to talk about school looming overhead throughout the summer. We're drawing attention to all of these new things you're learning. That's look at you doing that. You know, I remember you couldn't do that at Christmas time. And now you've learned how to do it. Wow. I can't believe how much you're growing or something like that. Absolutely. And then when school becomes more getting closer, then we can start introducing this idea of, hey, introducing the idea of school. And this is coming up and and not using those skills. As, and you know how to do this. You know how to get your folder in your backpack all by yourself. I've seen you do it. You're ready. And the skill is there, but also the
1: mindset that I'm capable and I can handle this, which is much more important, I think, than any specific skill that we're talking about. Because of course, there will be skills that they don't yet have when they start kindergarten. Otherwise, what's the point of kindergarten, right? They're learning those skills over the course of the year. What we hope for them is that they have that mindset of, I'm going to be able to handle this, even if it's challenging or I can't do it yet.
0: I can figure it out. Everything is figure outable. And to that point, I just, as someone who was an early childhood educator, that's what my background is. Educators treat the first six weeks of school As we're learning the hidden curriculum, we're teaching the kids how to line up, we're teaching them how to find their name, where to sit, how to get materials, how to use the bathroom. So your child is not going, and that is even in high school, you know, teachers talk about the syllabus, lay out the expectations for the class. There is that expected learning curve in the beginning of the year. And so don't let that fear that you have of your child not being able to keep up or figure it out influence your own conversations with them. Because teachers know they expect kids to come into a classroom and not know what to do in the classroom. Of course. Of course. Yes. Well, Tori, thank you so much for this. This was lovely. Always fun talking to you. And I'm so glad we got to share one of our many conversations with listeners, be able to learn from it.
1: Thank you so much for having me and congrats on the podcast.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much. Have a great day, guys.